Hello, and welcome to the next episode in the OLAC podcast series. I'm Carol Oxley, OLAC co-director and your host for this podcast. This episode will focus on how school districts are planning to respond to pandemic conditions and return for the coming school year. We will speak with a few different leaders in Ohio's districts about how their teams have met challenges, discovered new opportunities, and planned for the future after a year of disruption and difficulty. We'll hear about how they are renewing their emphasis on equity, social emotional learning, and innovative technologies and pedagogies. Let's take a moment to meet each of our guests now. My name is Neil Gupta. I serve as the Director of Secondary Education for Worthington Schools. I'm Mark Kreischer, Superintendent of Bloom Vernon Local Schools. I'm Jane Blaylock Jr., Superintendent of North College Hill City School, which is in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Shannon Cox. I'm the Superintendent of the Montgomery County Educational Service Center. And we are located in Montgomery County, Ohio, where we have about 77,000 students that we service between our publics and non-public entities. Could you maybe explain for our listeners the role that educational service centers play in Ohio? So we exist to help school districts carry out their daily business in about four core areas. There used to be one ESC per county. Over the years, a few of us have merged with each other to help you know, leverage those services to our individual school districts. So we now have 51 educational service centers across the state of Ohio. Each of our guests spoke about the way the pandemic created unique challenges for districts, but they also talked about how the challenges led to opportunities. As they discuss, these opportunities will help districts change over time. Shannon, working at an ESC, interacts with leadership from many districts. Shannon, can you tell us what that experience has been like during the pandemic? So it's a great question because we have really been in survival mode for about 14 months with every day really coming at us with a new set of criteria or a new set of conditions that we have to learn how to educate within. Over the last three weeks, we probably have had the most, and I hate to even say this like knock on wood because I do hear there's flying cicadas coming out of the ground, but hopefully we're at a point where we can actually start really laying a good solid foundation for the 21-22 school year. Neil, what has the experience been in your district? So I don't know if there's anything necessarily new under the sun that we learned from this as much as it was that we realized the need that we can obviously go back and bolster a lot of things that we were doing and reflect on it and say, are we doing it to the highest capacity available, knowing that now we've got ability through technology or other innovation circumstances that might help us out. Mark and Jean, what kinds of pandemic takeaways are you looking at? I mean, the one thing we're going to focus on this summer is trying to catch, like you said, catch these kids up. I think for us being in a, for us being in a small district, a small urban district, what I found out that, that things aren't fair and things aren't always fair. One thing we've heard a lot about from educators across Ohio is the way pandemic conditions have really sharpened issues of equity within districts. Jean, you've seen a lot of equity issues intensify as a result of pandemic pressures. Can you give us some examples of that? When you talk about equity, you know, we have to talk about giving every student what they need, individual student what they need when they need it. 
and we have to be able to have the resources to be able to provide that. And that right there will continue to be a challenge for us. Happy to say that we have plans, but it will always be a challenge for us just because of our situation with the way the funding sources are and just our community dynamics. We'll call it community dynamics and moving forward from there. When you look at parents who, you know, individuals are quick to say, well, everyone has a cell phone, so everybody should have the internet. That's not always the case. So we had a number of parents that didn't have access to Wi-Fi, so we had to buy hotspots for those. And we had a number of teachers who had access to Wi-Fi at home, but didn't have the broadband to work from home. We had teachers that we had to supply hotspots with so they could just perform their job duties from home. We've had to deal with a situation of movement. So when we talk about equity and stability, I think that's one and the same also, and it affects that. During this time, we had a number of families displaced. And because of the way the laws work, if you're in North College Hill, and then you have been displaced and say you may be 20 miles away with family members and you still choose to attend North College Hill City Schools, we have to provide transportation. So it was an added cost and burden on all of us just to make sure that students were able to come here. And then when they got here, did they have the support they needed? Parents were losing jobs. We've had a number of situations where you had mental illness kick in with suicide, attempted suicide. And I think all those things go to equity because of having the supports to, having the resources to support those individuals readily. And that's something that we just didn't have at the time and we continue to work on. I really appreciate the money and the funding that's coming in through CARES and ESSER. We will be able to, you know, moving into next year, we're gonna hire a couple more social workers. We're going to hire what they're called BCBAs, board certified behavior analysts, to find out what are the triggers for these students coming in. One thing we've heard from many leaders across Ohio is that the pandemic and the challenges to equity it has posed has invited a lot of new conversations about social emotional learning. Gene, has that been part of the equation for how your district has responded and plans to respond here? You know what? District priorities have shifted to look at the social and emotional aspect of our students. You have students who lost a number of relationships or have relationships severed, be it the relationships at home and definitely relationships at school as it pertains to teachers and pertains to students. So when we look at the whole child, and I think understanding that they have to be able to come into a safe, nurturing environment to be supportive. And it's each individual on staff's responsibility to make that happen. We've had trainings or we've trained our custodians, our food service folks, our bus drivers, our paraprofessionals and teachers. We've given them all the same training on what to look for and these students. And if you can't support them, where to go to get support for those students. So moving forward, I think that's gonna be a huge component, even start next year. Students need to feel, feel supported and have that one person that's at school, 
that they can go to that will advocate for that student or they feel safe with. But what you don't get and what you don't know is how these students feel when they walk in. You look at a situation now with all the unrest going on, especially with unarmed black men being killed, my students come in and they bear that. So, you know, it's tough when you come in and all you see or a lot that you see are the same faces that you see on television that's terrorizing you. And I think for us, we have to be able to make a, a connection with those students as far as relationship to let them know, you know, all white people aren't bad. All cops aren't bad. So you have to teach that and you have to demonstrate that and you have to show that. You can't just talk that talk and act the same way. And the one thing I always say is, you know, kids know, kids know the truth. And, you know, excuse my language, you know, my parents used to say you can't bullshit a bullshitter. And kids recognize that. So when you come to the point and you're saying one thing and your heart says another thing, your mouth says one thing, but we know in your heart is something else, kids pick up on that. And I think that's the one thing that will shift as we move forward. So you're going to talk, you know, when you talk about equity, that's going to all be in there and how the new civil unrest and how that will affect individuals moving forward. Neil, your district found a point of emphasis on social emotional learning too. Is that right? I think another thing I think that we're, I guess, realizing or learning is the number and issues that are happening from home lives and how it's affecting and impacting students' attendance, their grades, their social emotional health. I think we all have realized there's a degree of understanding and knowledge and experience and training in trauma-informed care and how they, they look for signs in, in helping students and, and maybe even you know, in their classroom curriculum to respond to it. And did you move to incorporate more SEL with your teachers? I think more embedded social emotional learning are, are things that we had to, to figure out. I don't think we were doing anything wrong, but you know, I think there were certain events that we did that, that kind of helped monitor, accelerate that. But now we realize that it's gotta be almost a daily occurrence that, that happens alongside the curriculum. And how does that build and fold into it? Gathering, gathering feedback you know, on a constant basis Shannon, from your chair at an ESC, has social-emotional learning been part of the way your partners are thinking about the future? We, especially in the state of Ohio, our strategic plan that our state department set out pre-pandemic included a title, Each Child, Our Future. And part of that strategic plan, one-fourth of the plan rests in a domain of social-emotional learning. So we were clearly on that path pre-pandemic, but what the pandemic has done, it has ripped the Band-Aid off. Undeniably, we have to pay attention to humans. We have adults that have gone through chronic stress and trauma for the last 14 months. We have students that have withstood parents losing jobs, the loss of family members, the loss of friends, isolation, and while there are glimmers of lessons learned that can be bright and hopeful for the future, what we can't forget and what needs to be prioritized is that we can't just pretend it didn't happen. We can't usher kids back into school at a full-time rate and staff back to full-time schedules and in-person schedules and not focus on the priority of making certain that the whole human is being taken care of. And that means putting some, some things in place, some practices and procedures in place to make sure that the adults and the students on the inside of the walls and the families on the outside of the walls know that we care about them. 
and that this is not just something that we flip a switch. We have learned that school districts are really a staple in their community to provide food sources, mental health therapy, sometimes just the, the communal check and balance of how our family is doing. Mark, as people shift to thinking more about social emotional learning, what are some important things we should keep in mind? That's an interesting question. You know, I think it's really reemphasized the importance to me and our staff of having kids here, in-person learning. I mean, this is, we've done the best we can with this, but I think the importance that kids are in front of their teachers every day, I think not just because of what they're teaching, I think our teachers have done a good job of, you know, presenting lessons and things online, but the accountability factor, kids feel accountable or whoever it is, it feels accountable when they see that person on a daily basis to get the assignments done, to stay up to date. Because I think what's happened early on, kids got a little bit behind and as you get further and further behind, now it's become a mountain of stuff you've missed and it makes it very difficult. So going forward, we're going to have to, the the assessments, I think are going to play an important role. You know, no, they're not holding teachers or kids themselves accountable this year, but I think it's going to play an important part for us to identify the kids that are in need of additional supports moving forward, starting with this summer. The pandemic has forced a lot of educators to adapt to using new tools, platforms, and methods. Much of this may represent a more durable change. And with that change come some exciting opportunities to innovate. Mark, what have been some of the payoffs of these new platforms and technologies in your district? We've learned a lot this year about the benefits of virtual learning. I think when kids, we've talked about recording, our teachers recording their lessons, the kids absent next year, you know, rather than give them a, a, a packet of what they missed, you now can have the kid, you know, virtually look at that lesson. It may have been from last year, but it's gonna be better than just giving them a packet of information or however teachers, you know, kids miss two or three days, they're expected to do their makeup work. I think this way we have lessons recorded in presentations that kids will be able to use. So I think it'll help, you know, keep kids from getting too far behind in the future because of what we've built up this past school year. So there are some benefits to what's been going on. Neil, what are some examples of the way the pandemic has helped your district implement new tools? When the first initial shutdown came into place and it was a time for us to figure out how we're going to use different platforms Our district made an investment in Zoom platform for us to be able to use that with our students. We had some support systems at the district level, leadership around a blended learning coach using Schoology, one of our online platforms. And so over the summer, there was a conversation and we received feedback from our parents on, you know, really the fatigue from the students and the parents on where to find information. And so over the summertime, through conversations with our staff, we decided to adopt a platform at the secondary level for our middle schools and high schools, which was Schoology and then Seesaw at the elementary level. And then that meant that we had to provide training for all of our staff to do that. And that happened in in small groups and rounds. We did a number of different trainings for that. Shannon, your ESC drew some similar conclusions about how to rethink content deployment as well, right? We've learned that students and families have to be connected to the internet and have devices that are solid enough to make certain that they can really complement their education. So I'm not talking about full forced remote learning. I'm talking about 
the tools in which you need to access a lot of supplemental materials and a lot of educational resources that we used to take for granted because we could just do it in school. Because again, people now understand that learning doesn't just necessarily occur between eight and five or nine and four or seven and three or whatever the times of the school day are, but we can expand on our learning over the weekend and in the evening. So we have to make sure that that digital divide really gets taken care of. And that's not going to be something that the K-12 sector can do alone. You know, when we faced digital divide implications, it was a healthcare issue. It was a workforce issue. It was an economic development issue. And it was an education issue at both the K-12 side as well as post-secondary. Jean, tell us how you were working on that digital divide problem in your district. So we, we did a lot as far as trying to train the teachers on actual instructional delivery via online or digital. That was one of the main things that we focus on this year, especially at the beginning. I think our teachers probably, I think we kind of counted 2,400 hours of professional development for our teachers in that area. We also purchased iPads for every teacher. So an iPad and a tripod. So teachers could not only do live teaching, but they also could record themselves and have that for the students. That was another thing that came about through this whole pandemic or what we've been dealing with. So we've moved from the pandemic and issues of equity to solutions grounded in shared learning and technology. It's clear that Ohio's educators have many rich ideas for how we can use what was learned during the pandemic as a basis for improvement. There's a quote that says that you never let a good crisis go to waste. And not that we would ever wish upon this or ask for something like this to ever happen again. At the same time, I think that when there's leadership involved in conversations that take place on what are the things that we've always done or things that we can do that are better than how we've always Mm -hmm. done it. How do you ensure that those conversations among leadership take place? I'll start at the building level first with building leadership teams and teacher-based teams. And those come from Ohio, those come from OLAC, the Ohio Leadership Advisory Council, that really talks about the idea of effective communication. And so those, again, existing structures that were predicated on trust and relationship and two-way communication to help funnel information together to make sure that people felt comfortable Our staff felt comfortable to share information with leadership. Shannon, what do you think some of the biggest lessons have been among the districts with which you partner? We've learned a lot. While it's been a very tiring and exhaustive year, we've learned a lot. We've learned that best practices that kids need to be in school, in person, with in-person teachers. And the good news is we get to be architects of what the future looks like. It doesn't mean that we're going to go back to pre-pandemic normal of 2018, 2019. And it certainly doesn't mean that we want to ever relive uh, 2020, 2021. But the good news is we get to be architects of what that post-pandemic education looks like. Jean, how are you imagining the coming school year in light of the last one? If we're going to get out of this, this funk, if we're going to, I'm not going to say get back to normal because I don't know if normal is... I don't know what's normal anymore, but if we're going to get back into making sure our students have everything that they need, we're going to have to shift the focus to meeting the students where they are. And then once you can get that, the academics should flow. Thanks. That's all the time we have. And what an important reminder for us to end with. 
thanks to Jean, Neil, Shannon, and Mark for taking the time to speak with us today. And we hope you'll join us next year as we continue to look at issues of critical importance to Ohio educators. I'm Stanley Dudek. I provide support and technical assistance for OLAC podcasts through the University of Cincinnati's Systems Development and Improvement Center. Credit for our podcast music goes to Expendable Friend, whose musical composition is licensed under an attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 international license.